legend. Oh, I don't know about that, but thank you very much. Not so bad yourself. You know, it's a mutual appreciation system. Yeah, but do you agree? Do you know what? Some people, if you reach out to them and say, hello, would you mind doing this or whatever, people think, well, no, who, who, who the friggin' hell are you? Or they're not very... Um, Amenable. Hospitable. Yeah, yes. And they're not very hospitable. But you always have time, not just... You know, you've given me so much time. This is I not try a, to do, mate. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, in a lot of ways, the people that I, um, obviously meet and chapter they're yeah. the ones who pay me wages so i always try to be all right and in some um respects i mentioned earlier on about coming on in the clubs from the back of the room but i'll mm. go i'll walk around the room saying hello to people and having the picture taken and all that before i even go on so then i'm already in the room and i've done my homework first mm -hmm. and found out who's who and then my music starts playing and i'm on and i'm off so you know it's nice to, and you can find things out as well when you yeah um, mix with people if you if you like. Does that help with your nerves as well? Then, if you're going out, so yeah, you, it does you kind actually. of read in the room. It's like, all right, uh, uh, yeah, it does actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. I think it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think not uh, not separating yourself um, helps a lot. Right. In in what way? Well, like um, sometimes I can go in, in in a club and I can get in through a back door, and I go on and I do me act. And I'm straight out the back door and gone, so I don't mix with them at all. Right. But in most venues, I'm, I'm in the clubland environment, not in the theatre, but you know, it's nice to say hello to people before you go on and mm -hmm. meet them and all that. Sometimes it's not very pleasant because they, you find out that they're all absolutely off the faces before you've even set foot on the stage, you know. Because <laughs> that's what they do now, yeah. they get drunk before they get there, so they don't have to pay the prices, you know, if it's a hotel. Oh yeah, well it's expensive, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. So they'll have half a bottle of vodka in their handbag and all that, and, that, and, and that's just the men. Your mum was a theatre school, a kind of principal, correct? And your dad was, just let me get this right, is he, were he a piano player? He was. Uh, yeah, but my mum had the biggest dancing school in Yorkshire, Jean Pierce School of Dancing, and her claim to fame was a, a, a television programme called Junior Showtime, which was all about young children, like a variety show, yep. but for kids. Mm -hmm. So she discovered a lot of people. She auditioned them all and choreographed it and all that. It was a bloke called Jesse Yates, who was the father of Paulie Yates, and, you know, a very tragic story. Um, but um, So my mum, that was her claim to fame, really, but she, in the day, she used to win all dancing competitions and all that, and, and she used to choreograph all the local amateurs and... You know, which is where I came in because mm -hmm. they were always short of boys. You know, boys didn't want to do it because it was, it, you know, it smacked up other things. If you were in the theatre, mm -hmm. you'd rather be playing rugby and stuff. So I never told anybody at school what I was doing. But when I was six, I was one of them Siamese twins in the King and I at the Empire in Classic. Leeds, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So because I got roped in, so I, I think that kind of thing stood me in good stead for later on in my life. You know, when uh, things started happening in different ways for me mm -hmm. you know and what was what was your relationship like with your parents not so, great mate to be right. honest okay. uh, uh, um, I left home when I was 14 and um, I went to live with my grandma who was wonderful but um, my father was very overbearing and Victorian in his attitudes to mm -hmm. put it politely right and um, uh, my mum all she was interested in was um, teaching other people's kids you know so it's it, you know the only way I could see it was really to be part of her life, not my own life. And going down that kind of journey of theatre, yeah. entertainment. I never wanted to do it. It wasn't, no. it wasn't something I decided to do. Yeah. I, I mean, I were an engineer and all that, and a porter and stuff. But then I made a decision. I joined a band, 
because um, I would have stage jammed at the Grand in Leeds and one of the crew uh, were in a band um, so he asked me to be the singer so I rehearsed and rehearsed with them and um, uh, they needed equipment and all that so I got saddled with the payment and they all, they all split up and they all bucked off leaving me with all the, all the to pay for all the equipment so that was me uh, never a, in another band and then um, a lad that went to my mum's dancing school uh, who's, uh, who was called Andrew Beaumont and uh, they're like a showbiz family so Jay and his sister she were in Strut Spare Cats uh, Nicky he's head of sport at YTV uh, Tim became a theatrical agent you know there was all like all the cousins and all that there were loads of them so we used to, went to Bucklins as redcoats yeah. we used to catch uh, people climbing over the fence and then send them back to finish their holidays yeah. and then um, came back and started doing the clubs and then after a couple of years with him, uh, we were both going in, di pulling in different directions. He wanted to be more of the pop star, and I wanted to go more down the comedy route. So we parted company, and um, I w had a double act with my girlfriend for a bit, and we went all around uh, Norway and stuff, and lived in London and starved, and they were awful. And then eventually we um, parted company, and she joined a three-girl act and finished up marrying somebody in Australia and all that. Uh, and me, I just started, eventually bit the bullet, because it was a big tough decision for me to go on my own. But as soon as I went on my own, and I realised that uh, the money at the end of the night didn't have to be divvied up, you know, to pay for the fuel and mm -hmm. the thing and the agent's commission and all that, and half of what's left is yours and half's mine. Um, it was all mine. So uh, that was the bonus. The journey from... Um like your childhood and stuff like that going through you worked in Iceland how do you know all that when I was 16 yeah I were I were at, um I worked at Johnson Radley's which is a place up at um Pudsey Grangefield Industrial Estate part of British United Glass and I were learning to be um a glass bottle mold maker so um I were a specialized apprentice so they cut the the molds out of cast iron mm -hmm. And at that time, when I was learning how to do it, say you've got a Coca-Cola bo bottle with the Coca-Cola name mm -hmm. ridged up on the bottle, somebody had to cut that out of the mould with a hammer and chisel originally. It's all done by computer now, but they'd cut that out with a hammer and chisel on a concave surface in mirror fashion. And it's quite a clever thing yeah. to do, and it's all done to millimetres and all that. So um, that's what I was learning to do. But... It, I'd only done like a year of that and I, I got um, basically run over on a scooter and I finished up having two thirds of my liver out, my spleen, put my ribs through my lungs, damaged my kidneys and so I was in a, a mess for a for long, I nearly died and all that. When I came out of hospital I'm, I, um, I didn't want to go back to engineering, it just didn't, you know, I'd had this experience of when I was 16 and people dying around me and all that because what they did. and. Um, so I couldn't settle after that. And the man who um, operated on me, I've got a big hole in my side, yeah, but that uh, tube had to be replaced. Um, but um, they couldn't put me to sleep for it. But So they had to do it in the theatre. So the man who, who did all that, changed the tube in my side while I was wide awake, used to speak to me, a girl called Geoffrey Wooler, who was a heart surgeon for Michael Tito. I won't bore you with all the detail, oh, yeah. but he was uh, like Yugoslavia. And he let me go and live in his place because uh, I got to know him and he liked me. 
and he let me go and stay in, his, in an island that he had that Martin Tito would let him have a property on there mm -hmm. called Cortula. The cruise ship stopped there now, but at the time there was nobody there. Mm -hmm. And I learnt a lot. I said, I don't know, we're in 16. So when I come home, I couldn't settle. And, uh, uh, and, and in the meantime, so when I was about 17, I met this Icelandic girl who was absolutely lovely and I fell in love with her and I finished up going to Iceland and living with her for a bit and working on fish docks and all that um, uh, Reykjavik, which was a fascinating experience for me. And then I came back and started working because I'd worked in the theatre, so I'd got me NAPCA, National Association of Theatre and Kinematic, um, and I got a job as a dresser at YTV uh, for, on Cezlairs and uh, met all these famous people. And then, uh, and then, like I said, the band and everything. And then I finished up going to Butlins when I was about twenty, and then coming back and doing the clubs. So that's it, really, my life in a nutshell. I don't think you'd ever change anything, though. The, the way it's all um, developed and, and and the kind of like the paths opened up. I mean, look at you and Paul now. It's like you rekindled yeah. again. Um, He's a lovely bloke, and all yeah. I get on really well with him. Um, like I don't have to be honest I don't have loads of friends uh, what, I've got loads of people that I know and I have got lots of friends really but when I say friends I mean people that you're really really bonded with and yeah. close to and I've got one friend who's a comedian who does the ships all the time called Rudy West and me and him were on new phases in 1986 and we've stayed he's my oldest friend I think we've been he was here other night and all and you know and, and you know when um, um, people in entertainment they never have a bad night mm -hmm. you know they'll never say oh lad but you know we're awful whereas with uh, Rudy and all that we can talk about things like that and be honest and say like the other night I were in a venue uh, not too far away from here and um, it was a mixed up of audience but the room wasn't right there was no stage and there was no lighting and there's pillars and posts everywhere so mm -hmm. the, uh, only the front row can really see you you know, the rest of them are only seeing it from there. So a lot of my visual stuff's gone out of my act then because I can't do it. Because if they can't see, and then they can't see the lights are wrong and all that. So you've got everything against you, you know. And like, um, so he'll tell me stuff that's happened to him when uh, one night the, the police had to come and escort him out of the building. They were going to kill him, the audience. Well, uh, you know, I've been in those situations myself, So, uh, but not many people will admit to it, if you see what I mean. But I'm quite open, I don't mind. If I have a tough night, I'm, I'm happy to tell everybody. It's not, uh, the, it's not a cakewalk, like, you know, it's a tough business, and you, you can go very pear-shaped. Late at night, going on half ten, eleven o'clock, when they've been drinking since mm. half past seven, is not a great time for a comedian, and, and my heart sinks if it's a hen party. Or a stag party. Hen ones have drunk women, and but bless them, I love them to pieces. But they're very difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with a um, a show like that then? Good night. It's, but but cause, cause you, you, you're very energetic. You deliver. You've been like <coughs> that for, throughout your career, haven't you? you you're an energetic performer. Because uh, I want to do my best. That's so what, what you do. Is it something yeah. that? You, is it something you put you back in your head thinking? In, you tell yourself. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. I think it's just years of experience, but sometimes you can look at an audience and you know you're in for a tough time. Right. You, you, you know, you can look out over the room and you think, oh, that's going to be trouble there, they're going to be not, they're already noisy. And it can be lots of other things, like there's, um, it could be the act that goes on before you but puts them in a bad mood. Oh, right. Do you know what I mean? So the, the act goes on before you and they're too loud maybe and all the audience's ears are bleeding and then their volume goes up. 
So by, by the time somebody like somebody me like me goes on and they've got to listen, mm. they've already gone past that point of no return and they're shouting at each other across the room and all that. It's hard to bring them back to be entertained, if you like. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is, that as a comic, when you stood there all on your own, you're kind of bearing your soul. Whereas uh, I would wish sometimes I could just stand there and sing for an hour, you know, rather than having to try and make them laugh. I do, honestly, I don't mean to decry what anybody that gets up on stage but as a comic you kind of do bear your soul and when you do die it is you know it is painful yeah that's what i'm saying you must still have that same feeling that same enthusiasm you know what your passion you've got it is a passion and also uh, what i would say to counteract everything that i've just said is is the drug that i have is making people laugh yeah it's the most powerful thing. It's like mass hypnosis. If you can get an audience listening and hanging on every single word where you've got them in the palm of your hand, it is the most fantastic, brilliant feeling. Yeah. And sometimes I, it makes me almost... I'm laughing at myself thinking, why, am I, why are all these people watching me, fascinated with me? You know what I mean? What is it? You know, it's, it, 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 why am I here? Why, what's it all about? It, it tickles me the other way sometimes, you know, when I think that. Especially if there's nobody in here, like you're down south somewhere at South End or somewhere like that. And there's about three people and a guide dog. And you're, <laughs> and you're on there and it's just a sea of empty seats. And you walk, hello everybody, and yeah. all that, you know, and there's like nobody. And they're all sat at the back. And, uh, and you've got to keep going, you know, to keep the persona going. So I have loads of, you know, I, I counter out that with, you know, gags about you know if i'd have known there were going to be as many as this you could have come to my house and yeah you're going to get more than a joke each and you should see me with an audience and you know all those lines yeah yeah because it's not their fault the ones that have come in yeah you can't um, slag them off because it's empty right like a a lot of comics do that you know they slag the audience off with the ones that have turned up yeah. Whereas I don't, I try and make him a friend, and I don't. Say, that's oh, cool. That, that, that's Sit down, come and sit. The, come down here so we can. Let me, why yeah. don't we all go to the bar and I'll I'll get a round of drinks? It'll be a lot easier and all yeah. that sort of thing. But that's a very good 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 trait to do, where you can sort of kind of take the piss out of the like, situation. You, the, yeah, exactly. Self-effacing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cool thing. Well, it's I, a cool I think trait. it disarms people as well. If you go in with an attitude, because mm. people are frightened of comics, they're frightened that you're going to say something, and they don't want to sit at the front and. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're frightened of you. And um, I don't want to... And they'll go to me when I turn up somewhere, and they'll go, um, uh, Billy, there's a fellow at the front over there, he's called Peter. Uh, take the piss out of him, he's got a bald head. And I go, why have I got... He's bought a ticket. Unless, I, I say to them, if he leaves me alone, I'll leave him alone. If he shouts out at me, he'll get slapped down. You know, that, yeah. because you have to control the room. You can't let them get away with murder. But mm-hmm. but I'm not going to insult them right, yeah, straight yeah. away. Yeah, so yeah. It's like people getting up to go to the toilet. You know, if they've been sat there for an hour, but once you let one go and you don't take the mickey out of them, then they're all wandering about. You mm. need to hit them straight away. Yeah. You know, the you know if you if you get up and walk past me, you're going to get the piss taken out of you. You, you, it's mass hypnosis, really. Yeah, you need to be in command. You can't show, even though you're panic stricken. I can go on stage sometimes, and I'm not kidding. I'm so scared. I have to hold the microphone with two hands because my hands like that, and I have to go like that. But I can't show the audience that. Ah, you see, so you because you're a professional. Fact, that's what it is. And I think you're going back. You're speaking of audiences, and you say, get them in the palm of your hand. 
and you've, you've got them there. And it can go wrong in a breath. Exactly, but the way you deal with something, for example, pantomime. You're 21st this year, isn't it? Yes. Tell me I'm right with that it's number. It's because I'm cheap, yeah. It's uh, no, 21 years. 21 years, which is an incredible, incredible um, running you're doing. It's unbelievable. It's it? built up over the years. Uh, when I first went there, I, I were only like second or third on the bill. Um, I always do the gag about, you know, they have to tell them, have to, you know, in the Alhambra, the dressing rooms, they don't go up, they go down. And the lower you are on the bill, the lower down your dressing room is. And the first time I went there, they gave me a miner's lamb and a canary, right? <laughs> but, um, um, you know, the, uh, it were um, uh, somebody famous, I can't remember who, it were on telly all the time, Paul Nicholas at the time. And um, so he was quite not too bothered about the pantomime and he'd got other things, irons in the fire. He'd got West End musicals and all mm -hmm. that that he was putting on. So I think it was quite happy for me to um, be on, you know. So he was on the, in the in the whole pantomime for about twenty minutes, right? And I was on for about an hour and a half. So since that day, um, I've always been invited back, and you know, I've kind of been lucky enough to be asked back every time. And I've worked with loads of people and all that. And I've been very lucky. But it's not, I've done loads of pantomimes elsewhere. Bradford's the one I've done the most in, but, you know, I've been Blackpool, Graham, Bristol, Wolverhampton, mm. Hull, um, you know, loads of different places. You know, I've been lucky enough to do it over the years. So, um, but Bradford obviously is great for me because I'm at home for Christmas, which is a horrible time when you're away from yeah. home, you're away from your family and all that. So, you know, that's a massive bonus to be able to be at home. Otherwise, you'd be setting off on Christmas Eve from the oh, show, driving three, four hours, you know, all the way from London, having Christmas Day at home and then having to get back for the matinee on the Boxing Day. So there's no there's no life, is it? Whereas here, even though you can't get drunk or out like that because you've got two shows to do, um, I'm still at home in my own bed with my own family. And that's nice. It is, I'm, I'm a lucky man. I think I've got the balance about right now. So half the battle has been at home. You know, the Alhambra's beautiful and I love it there. And I love all the staff as well. We've got to know them. In fact, we only went to a funeral last uh, Tuesday, a week ago, for the lady that used to be front of house manager. You know, the, you know, you get to know them all and it's, we're like a family and Absolutely. it's very sad, you know. Yeah, so, but in that respect, I'm, I, I can't be set, my blessings, I think I've been massively lucky to to be able to do that, mm -hmm. to cut myself a little niche in, in Bradford. And at my age, you know, and it's the only thing left now out of the work, you know, a lot of work's falling by the wayside now, you know, they don't, the clubs are shut in there, you know, they want the new boys, not me, I'm a gag man, right, as opposed to telling observational comedy and all that. I'll take my cap off to everybody, don't get me wrong. Anybody who gets there, gets up there, deserves a medal for a start off, so I'd never knock anybody. But, uh, but you know, times have moved on and, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm old, I wouldn't like to start again. Mm. I think that'd be hard. So something like the pantomime is a huge kind of section of the year, chunk of the year, that is a big part of your life. Mm. How much preparation are we talking? I mean... Um, I'm behind at the, the moment with this year. script for this year? Is yeah. everything in? You got your script, haven't you? Yes, I've got a basic script. Right, basic script. It's like a skeleton. Right, go on. Right, so you have to then hang all the meat and the muscles and everything else on that skeleton. So the skeleton's there at the moment, which is open to be changed. 
So what happens is, boring as it may sound, they come, come round, Ed Curtis, who's the director, who's a lovely man, and he knows how to work with me. And he comes here uh, only a few weeks ago and brings me, we talk about it first, and we have a bit of a script and we go through it and I put my ideas and my uh, two penny thing. And then he goes back to London with all my ideas and then they bounce that back to me and then I sit going through it all again and then I bounce it back to him. And then, because we don't get long, we only get about a week really to put it on. So I have to learn it all, all my songs and everything. I go down to London and have to set all my songs in the right keys. The whole thing's put together then and I get my tracks and I put my stuff on my phone to rehearse with. Mm -hmm. I've got an app on my phone so I can, like a dictaphone thing. And I put everybody else's lines on the phone and I start learning it. And then as I'm going through it, I think, well, it'd be much funnier if we did this and much funnier if we did that. What about it? And then when I get to rehearsals and I see how, like, Faye Tozer's going to do it and how Paul Chuckle's going to do it and what, and all them, and I think to myself, oh, that'd be better if they did it like that. And, you know what I mean? So I write stuff for them, like I did for Viggins last year. I wrote stuff for him mm -hmm. in rehearsals. But, uh, um, you know, so which endears me to them. I'm not. I'm a team player as opposed to... You know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread and fuck everybody else. <laughs> no, but it's great. So, uh, I mean, improvisation, though, I've oh. seen you, I've only, it's my only panto I've ever seen with you. I mean, mm -hmm. only two and a half years ago when we, you and I sat down at the Alhambra. Yes. Um, and I noticed kind of the way you, you improvise as well. Yeah, yeah. But not in a kind of. No, no, they have to trust you, you yeah, see. Yeah, yes, I, I always, yeah. And I always say to people that are with me, look, Whatever happens, I'll give you the line. I'll give you the feed line. So if I go off on a tangent, which is about meant for two, um, I can give you the... I'll yeah. always give you the feed line. I won't leave you t with egg on your face. So they learn to... Which you have to do when you're out there in front of 1,400 people. Yeah. You know, you can't make somebody look stupid. You, you need to... You know, so it's a fine line that you tread uh, uh, because... I don't like what you call in-jokes where the people on the stage, there's something happening on the stage which makes everybody laugh, but the audience don't, doesn't know what's going on. Right. right. So no in-jokes at all. I don't like in-jokes. The audience have to be included. So if, if we've gone, you know, and I go, um, uh, you know, I've, I've forgotten it, what was my line? And they go, oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll go and get the script. And I go in the wings and get the script and come out with it. As if I actually have forgotten it or she's forgotten it. But I'll always bring them back, even though we go off on a massive, you know what I mean? So they're not, like, they go along with the gag. Yes, that's good. And they're not made, made to look foolish, which that's is horrible if you do that to somebody, especially on stage. It's the worst feeling in the world, Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? Worst feeling Because world. your confidence just goes and you're sapped and... Sarah Coggin, who's with me again this year, I think she's done three or four years with me, and she's a lovely girl, and she's great, she's done... Um, Cinderella and um, Snow White and well she's Snow White this year and um, uh, and all that wall stuff I don't know if you ever saw that popping mm -hmm. up a wall yeah, yeah. dead physical and she, bless her she just had a baby and she's got a baby she's an actress and she comes up here and she has to get somebody to look after the baby while she's doing two shows and all that and very pretty girl and all that but uh, you know lovely and I would the last thing I would ever want to do would be to upset her or make her look. She's a lovely girl, nice girl, you know, working hard and trying hard. And so, the, you know, I like to get the best out of people and I don't think you get the best out of people by being horrible. Exactly, yeah. Some people yeah. do. Like there's certain people that I perhaps wouldn't want to name 
But um, the, the way they try and get the best out of you is by insulting you and sapping your confidence and your strength, which is an important thing when you're in show business, mm -hmm. confidence and strength in yourself. Even though you're not big-headed and you're not yeah, yeah. up your own backside, you still have to be a strong person to do it. Absolutely. So if somebody's going to sap that strength away from you, where you lose all your confidence, mm. which some people can do that. You know, I have been with people who've done that to me. It's awful. It is, it's horrible, but luckily not too much. And now I'm where I am now, I don't get too much of that. It's when you're d down on the, you know. It's like somebody said to me um, once, uh, um, which is true, when you're second on the bill, people come up to you and they go, you're brilliant, you are. You know, you should be top of the bill. You're brilliant. So yeah, I had loads of that, you know, supporting people going around the country. You should be top of the bill. When you're top of the bill and you become top of the bill, they never say you deserve to be top of the bill because you're great and you've worked hard to get there. They say, what's the business like? Right. Yeah. They never say, yeah. it's all about the business. It's yeah. about bums on seats, the business. Nobody ever gives you a pat on the back and says you deserve to be, you've worked so hard to be top of the bill. Nobody says, what the, what's the business like? Is it paying for itself? Yeah. You know, have you, you know, have you got enough bums on seats to make it pay and all that? It, there's never yeah, a, yeah. Uh, right, so hard, um, not that it bothers me, don't get me wrong, I can't complain. I've had the best time really, you know, and I'm very lucky where I am. And you're keeping going? You're as long as I can. You well, something you're not going to like, right, I'm retiring now. It's like, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I can't afford to retire. Yeah. And, and you don't retire, the phone stops ringing. Yeah. Uh, last British Comedy Awards, uh, I beat uh, Michael Barrymore and Ken Dodd on the day, which was quite an important thing. I think that's probably the most fun. And this was a Club Mirror thing. That's something from uh, Blackpool Grand, which I've appeared more times than anybody else in the history of the building. That's from all front of house staff, uh, Alhambra. The Local Hero Awards, uh, Pride of Yorkshire, I got that. That's uh, a, a children's royal I did, donkey's years ago, when with the children's royals on telly. Mm -hmm. And I was the central character, take that with the top of the bill, and there was all these famous people on. And that, it was all about the ruby getting stolen from the British Museum. So at the end of the uh, proceedings on the night, I nicked the ruby <laughs> through the keyhole key. Classic. Yeah, um, you know, I can't remember where that was. Oh, John Lennon, of course, I'm quite proud of that. But this was dates back, yeah, I mentioned it in car about him. That is actually John Lennon, I don't look like it, but it's an old picture of him coming out of what I I think they did the Grand or somewhere in Leeds. And when I were at school, the kid, Mason Man, got his, it just says love from John Lennon. Um, and that's it, all faded away. But it is actually his own. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of dust yeah. now. Have you seen the dust on here? Because it's true. Thank the cleaner. We've got, somebody said to me, what's your uh, bestest thing you've ever done? And uh, I've lost the picture now because it were on the end of there. But it was a picture of me on my wedding day. Gorgeous. Yeah, so. Um, but you know when all my stuff's lined up and all mm. these awards and all that and he said so what's the most important thing and all that and I said it's that that's the most that means more to me than anything. Oh, that's gorgeous. You know what I call my boat? My boat uh, I had a 44 foot sailing yacht right uh, sloop rig to, you know and I absolutely adored it I dreamed about it all my life and I bought it in uh, Mallorca and it was called Premier Crew which is the best of the first great wine and premier crew yeah. it was all premier flash name yeah. 
and I, uh, which you're not supposed to do with a boat, but I changed the name of it to Free Billy. <laughs> My mate, who's um, is round here and everybody, he's not so well known now, but he used to have his own adverts on telly, and he's called Mike Smith. And he, he, Mike's Carpet. Mike's Carpet. known him for years. He's, he's, he's a character. And uh, his boat was called Ocean Lino. <laughs> <laughs> Ocean Lino, uh, that's great, oh, isn't it? Brilliant. Ocean brilliant. Lino. I saw my mate walking round here the other day, and I pulled up and I said, "You want a lift?" He said, "No, I'm in a rush." Um, so Panzer is going to be December, January. Yes. Finishes beginning of February. Yeah. Um, well, then yeah, right I'm... place, wrong time. It's pretty much October, November, yeah, isn't it? All of October, and we're coming to varieties in Leeds. There's a few local ones. Yeah. Um, Clark Eaton? You, no, you've got a stand-up next I'm week, I'm doing a stand-up by there. It's yeah. a great theatre, isn't it? Yeah. Like well, Town Hall, isn't it? It's lovely, though, isn't it? It's like, so mm. local. Right, what I like to do on Novel Meets Podcast with everyone. Okay. Ten of the best. What does that mean? Well, you'll find out. So okay. I want the quickest answer. What's your favourite theatre in the UK? The Grand Blackpool, I've been there loads of times. More times than anybody else. And I think probably the Alhambra as well. Would I'd have, I owe so much to the Alhambra. Who've been my friends and that for many many years, and yeah. um, so I've got to say the Alhambra out of the two would be the Alhambra. Favorite film? Shawshank Re- Redemption. Oh, what a film that is! Mm. Uh, dog or cat? Which I know that's a dog. Dog. Yeah. Dog yeah. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> night in or night out? Uh, well, it's changing rapidly. My, my wife's night out, and I'm a bit more night in. But I'm learning. Um, I did go, used to go out loads, but. She's like a social butterfly, my wife, so I'm going to start making a bit more effort to go out a bit more. Alright, okay. Favourite food? Oh, um, well, uh, I love my wife's uh, cooking and she does all sorts of different things, but uh, uh, I like um, probably an Indian. Uh, beer, wine or liquor? Um, did you hear about the teetotal virgin that preferred mental liquor? Um, I only drink to steady my nerves. Sometimes I get that steady, I can't move. Really? Yeah. I've just had my toes amputated so I can get nearer the bar. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Favourite holiday destination? I think our favourite one would probably be Jamaica. Never been. Never okay. been. Yeah. Yeah, we had a, Well, oh, but uh, one of the reasons for that would be uh, we've never, we've only been done it once, but oh, Barbados <laughs> were lovely and all. But Jamaica, we, when the volcano went off, um, we got an extra week there. We were stuck there and they paid for it all and it finished up staying an extra week, so we had a great time. Didn't we? Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. Money was no object, Billy. Mm-hmm. Where would you live? Where would you like to live? Um, I always find it's an interesting question. Uh, asking. I've asked so many people that question. If money were no object, I wouldn't have to work again, would I? Pretty, so yeah. pro- probably somewhere warm, I think. Probably Spain. We lo- we loved it over there. We, we we liked it in Spain, and we we um, went to a place called Marira, which is on the uh, in uh, on the Spanish coast, up from Be- uh, Benidorm, and it's a bit more upmarket. And we rented for two months, right, this uh, footballer's villa, mm-hmm. which was absolutely stunning. And the place itself, we just we fell in love with it. It was just lovely. Are you an early morning riser or a late night? night uh, last night I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I went to bed this morning at half past seven. Right. I know, and there's no rules. There's <laughs> no right. And sometimes if I've got my mind going, I can't sleep. I suffer with um, insomnia 
really bad sometimes. You, you I, can go, yeah. I can go to bed and I can't get to sleep and I finish up coming down here having a cup of tea and pacing up and down and thinking about stuff and I go is, back is to that, bed. You, is, it, is, it, is it lines? Is it ideas? Is it, is it, is it, is um, it, a lot of it. I worry a lot about things. It's not necessarily show business. That's not the main... Uh, all that, that. Like my mum's just gone in the care home and I'm looking after my mum and uh, her husband, not my father... Um, I'm trying to sort him out and dealing with social people and all that. And I, I wake up worrying about that kind of yeah. mundane mm-hmm. life things. I can't. Uh, if if I had a normal job like I used to have when I used to clock on at eight o'clock in the morning, you couldn't live like that. All my life, if you think about it, for nearly fifty years, I've I haven't been. But you know, I'm not I'm nobody's boss except myself. Yeah. So I can come home at one two o'clock in the morning and stay up till four or five. And then maybe I have three, four hours sleep, and then I can have a kip at dinner time, or I'll, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll go yeah, to bed so, early. Yeah, yeah. There's no rule, the, you know. It's like the plan, the, the plan is there's no plan. Mm. You know, I can get up if I have to do. Or this morning I have to be up for stuff, but it, but I'm, and I'm not one to lie in bed all day. I can't do that. I'm I'm usually up, even if I've had two hours sleep at about nine o'clock. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, my brain's too active. I think. Yeah. Can you cook? No, I'm crap. Is that your stomach talking of yeah. food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wasn't it Trump? Yeah, yeah. Good timing, well done. Yeah, you have a sandwich or something? No, no. Can, can you cook though? Can you cook? No, I'm crap, love. Yeah. I can do boiled eggs and things like that, but my wife is absolutely brilliant, and my son can cook. He starts at uni on Saturday, so we're very pleased that he can actually make things for for himself. Right. So just to finish off on the last question yes. of the afternoon: three people dead or alive, dead or alive, yeah. that you'd like round this table, three people, to have a bit of a dinner party few drinks and stuff like that and I don't want I want to know why you invite them three people do you have to know the people I know no not at all I think so Graham Grumbleweed would be a great one a fabulous raconteur and yeah. a very very funny man yeah funny bones funny man just looking at him used to make me laugh it'd have to be somebody like the two Ronnies or Tommy Cooper or uh, uh, Malcolm and Wise or uh, you know them kind of ilk I used to say Sue Pollard, but I have actually been eating out with her and all that, and she's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Sue Pollard. Um, uh, so I, I, and right now at this moment in time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know. But I've got a, to a point in my life where I, I'm just happy. That's lovely. Yeah. I say there's nobody got out I want. No. Yeah. Which is a good place to be, really. It's a lovely, it's a lovely statement, isn't it? Yes. It's like when people come round here, like you have, and said, I've got a nice house. And somebody said, everything is lovely and all that. It's got a lovely atmosphere. And I said, yeah, but it should have a lovely atmosphere because every single thing you look at here, including the trees and the bushes and the curtains and the furniture and the, the walls and the ceiling and all that, has all been paid for with laughter. Mm. So it cannot be anything but a happy house, can it? That's a great, that's a gorgeous thing. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's a gorgeous thing, yeah. It is though, isn't it? It is, it can't be anything else but happy. So I'm, I'm right happy here. Um, there's lots of people that I've met over the years who are, you know, left an impression on me, who are sadly not here anymore, like John Inman, who was a lovely man to me, uh, very kind, and I loved him to pieces. We did um, some summer seasons and banjos together. And there's a thing, a theatrical thing, which I've kind of lapsed a bit, really, with, um, called the Water Rats, which is you only, can only be asked to join. You can't ask to join. Mm-hmm. They have to, you know, propose, second year, and load their boat on it and all that. So John was King Rat, 
and it was a, a massive thing at the time and uh, so um, it, I was guest speaker at the Grosvenor House and the Water Rats Ball sat with uh, Betty Boothroyd and um, uh, Thora Heard and uh, people out of the young ones um, what they call him I can't remember his name and Dawn French and oh, yeah. uh, all that lot all sat at this table and I remember going to the toilet uh, for a wee and I'm having a wee and there's um, uh, what they call him uh, uh, Frankie Vaughan remember him you won't mm-hmm. remember him will you but he was right big at, at one, a long time ago Frankie Vaughan having a wee next to me and Joe Brown on the other side uh, you know Joe Brown on the other side it was like gobsmacked and I, I washed my hands in the toilet and I came out and a man came up to me and he said there's a lady over here who would love to meet you I'd done a speech and it went really well and uh, uh, so I went over to meet this lady who was very gracious and all that and it were Eric Markham's wife. She'd asked to meet me. Oh, wow. I know, I was like gobsmacked with that. Do you know what, though, Bill? It's like so nice to hear that so many people surrounded, well, you've been surrounded by, you've got ultimate respect for, they've got respect for you, you've got a great family. Yeah, I have. And, it, and it's, it's, it's so nice. It hasn't always been like this, though. No, hasn't it? No, my first marriage was a disaster. Right. Yeah, I lost all my son didn't speak to me for ten years. I lost all my house, my property, everything, lost mm. all my money. Um I had a nervous breakdown and all that and you know, I had to t- literally start all over again. I finished up in a bed sitter and for a couple of years. Um it uh, not very nice. But I always say my life's like a pendulum and um so the pendulum swings backwards and forwards and one side is brilliant and the other side is shite. And most of my life, my pendulum's been in the shite side until I met my wife, who's been um, brilliant, and I love her to pieces. And so since then, my pendulum's been in the brilliant side oh, more times than the shite side. That's absolutely lovely. It is, but it's true. Show me hands. Thank you so much. No, seriously, thank you. Billy Pierce. Oh, I hope it's, it's all right, love. I've been bored. I'm walking on. Then what, what I do now? Just go around shutting clubs. I mean, the... The block before me, it was so bad, they were still going in while I were up. Don't be wrong, man. said, will you do a gig in a fire station? Will you make them laugh in a fire station? Well, I've never done that before. Make people laugh in a fire station. Anyway, when I turned up, it's a fucking hoax. <laughs> <laughs>